Hey there, listeners. Kevin once again coming back this week because it is another week where we're going back into the archives and bringing out our review of The Russia Hoax by Greg Jarrett from several years ago. This week, you get a couple more chapters of that review as we get on our way towards being at the end of it and where we'll be recording brand new episodes as we finally finish off that review that we never completed way, way back in the beginning of 2019. Of course, we have a brand new episode coming up next week with our guest Aaron Rabinowitz of Embrace the Void and Philosophers in Space and all those great shows that he's always doing. He's going to be here with us to do Chapter 3. And of course, if you can't get enough of us, just run over to patreon.com forward slash NYGBC. Become a patron for as little as $2 an episode. We have September's patron-only bonus episode coming out very shortly, as soon as we get it done. That's it for this week's housekeeping. Enjoy the show. You should write a book, Fry. People need to know about the can eat more. I'm getting this book on UFOs. Did you know they're real? But there's a huge comic conspiracy to cover it up. Oh, that's just a paranoid fantasy. I want to be a book. You can pick me up, flip through my pages, make sure nobody drew wieners in me. final segment this week, we have Chapter 2 of The Russia Hoax, the illicit scheme to frame Donald Trump and clear Hillary Clinton, or maybe it's the other way around. Did I get it backwards? Okay, uh, scary voice, scary voice, uh, frame Donald Trump, clear Hillary Clinton, blah, blah, blah. You all get what I mean. Run it the wrong way around again. (laughs) Whatever. Uh, This is Chapter 2, and this is titled, Comey Contorts the Law to Clear Clinton, uh, for which my first alternate subtitle was, wait, is that how alliterations work? (laughs) <laughs> he almost got it. He almost got it. Maybe that. What, he could have done was, Comey contorts the code to clear Clinton, right? That would have worked. Mine was Comey contorts the law to clear clear, twint, clear Clinton, comma, that's the end of the chapter. This could have been a tweet. <laughs> <laughs> we also, I had another one uh, we, we, I just came up with earlier when we were uh, talking off the air, which was uh, where the fecal matter meets the oscillating device. Yep. Uh, which I, I just found funny. So we start this off, as all these chapters start, with a obscure quote that is completely unconnected to Not any obscure, of this, but as sounds it turns good. out. Uh, well, it's actually on the wiki quote page about law, <laughs> so I'm pretty sure that's where he found it. All right, not not obscure, but let me just say, completely out of context and has yep. nothing to do with any of this. Uh, because the case, the, the quote is, it is a public scandal when the law is forced to uphold a dishonest act. And it was a contracts case that had to do with a bank uh, issuing fraudulent bonds. And the yeah, it has nothing to do with any of this. It just sounds good out of context. It does. Yeah, uh, and it's on WikiQuote, so it's easy yeah, to find. Yeah, you know, we need to we need to see if we can do that working backwards, like they do with uh, knowing what Donald Trump is watching on TV at every yeah. moment, right? Because we can tell by his tweets. We need to see if we can do that with these quotes and find. I actually, the page. I actually did. I actually did. <laughs> I, I did it. And the first one was not on the WikiQuote law page, but we'll okay, go back. I'll, I'll do it and see. I'm sure we can find it somewhere, right? Yep. Yeah. So uh, we start off with in this chapter. Of course, we're going to hear about James Comey. How James Comey who I will remind you handed the election to Donald Trump, mm-hmm. was in on a conspiracy uh, in support of Hillary Clinton. So keep that in mind. That is what we're starting. Because remember, you remember we ended the last chapter with uh, what I called the uh, snowball of inferences, right? Yeah, that, that it's becoming an avalanche yes, in this chapter. Yes, it really is. The inferences from early in last chapter became facts by the end. And in this chapter, those again, they're going to start as facts, we're going to have more inferences, and by the end of the chapter, those inferences are going to become facts again. It is the glorious circle of bullshit. It's really mm-hmm. fantastic. So we start off with a quote talking about James Comey's news conference on July 5th, 2016, announcing the findings of the investigation. 
And the quote we get from Jared is, Across the country, many of those closely following the case expected him to outline evidence of a series of crimes committed by Hillary Clinton for the Department of Justice to pursue. And I, in my book, crossed out those closely following and entered in Fox News viewers. I feel like (laughs) is much more accurate. I also, I mean, you missed the first sentence, but after a year of gathering incriminating evidence, I've just written clearly not. (laughs) Well, no, of course, because we've already gotten the inferences turned into facts. So now we know that there was incriminating evidence that was found. We know that because the inferences became facts. Pay yeah. attention to the book, Benedict. Yeah. Pay attention but to the book. Having said that, I did think while I was reading this that if you if this was your source and your only source mm-hmm. or this and sources similar to this, it's pretty good at the argument they make is it makes is consistent and if you don't check anything, it's fine. Like, mm-hmm. it, this would be fairly convincing to me as someone who did not know anything about the subject. Well, yeah, like, if if your wife's only source about the world was the book Snow Crash that I just got her to read, she would think that the metaverse exists and that there's yeah. an ancient language that well, can yeah, control exactly. your brain. Well, that's the thing. I don't, I don't think this, this <laughs> book is targeted at people who read much. No, yes, I, I think we agree on that. <laughs> but the first subsection in this chapter is called Comey's Tortured Interpretation. Uh, and here we get Jarrett... Forgetting how to lawyer, as he has done throughout the the whole first chapter already. Oh, he does love a rule of three, though. I just I just want yes, to point that out. He's very, he's it was one of the most three. bizarre, bewildering, and incomprehensible mm-hmm. explanations. Yep, there you go. Nice. Those are synonyms. Uh, he also said Comey's assessment of the law was not just flawed, but completely accurate and conspicuously wrong. Completely in, in, inaccurate and conspicuously wrong are literally the same thing, <laughs> phrased <laughs> like next to each other. They are a hundred percent inaccurate and one hundred out of 100 wrong like I, I think we can give him credit for for uh just a little bit of writing license there to make it sound better we can give him some credit for that no, right i, no I tend to write me. i so, tend yeah to but write that's that he that's... does two two three two three peats in right, one but, paragraph but a sentence sounds better when it ends with two things right i don't know why it just sounds better when it ends that way instead no, of does, ending on you, a, you... a full stop one word just stop i don't know yeah. i'm just saying i'm just saying that's how i write but we get a quote from james comey's nice. statement which is Although there is evidence of potential violations of the statutes regarding the handling of classified information, our judgment is that no reasonable prosecutor would bring such a case. Okay? Now, we're going to spend the rest of the chapter having Jarrett complain about that. Literally. Basically. <laughs> li- literally. Also, he, he, I mean, he, say, he talks about the first part of it and is like, oh, it's legally sufficient. And then it, when he's talking about the second part, he says the second part of Comey's statement was that no reasonable prosecutor would bring such a case. And he says, this was nothing more than speculation by him personally, which is a bit of a rich <laughs> accusation from the author of this book. Mm-hmm. He says, the law does not accept this as a valid basis for declining to levy charges. Moreover, Comey had no grounds for making such a bold claim. Yeah, you, you he remember appeared th- to have simply <laughs> invented it. Much like Greg Jarrett has invented all the things yeah. in this book. You remember this is the guy who in the last chapter told us that because there's no evidence that Barack Obama s- sent any classified information, that he must have sent classified information, right? Yeah. Because yeah. you know how things work. How uh, words are. But yes, we get complaining about that first part first. He says that because... There was potential violations of statute that James Comey had an obligation. He said, on this basis alone, Comey was duty-bound to tender a criminal referral for prosecution. No subsequent qualifying predicate or condition to this statement can eliminate that legal requirement under the law, to which I say, a bullshit. There are plenty of circumstances in which someone may have technically violated a law, but has decided not to pursue it because it would be a stupid waste of time. That is... Just standard practice. Yeah. Uh, and the second part, that no reasonable prosecutor would bring a case, is what we're going to spend the next couple of pages complaining about. So, <laughs> according to, to Jarrett, all of the former FBI officials' heavy caveat here interviewed for this book yeah, said they had say, never had never heard he, of such he a said, He said that later in the book, and I caught it. I was like, that's a pretty self-selecting group there, Greg. <laughs> Yes, whenever he brings up the former FBI people that he talked to, you always have to remember that caveat of interviewed for this book, because Mm -hmm. if you were alive for the last two years, you would remember plenty of FBI officials, current and former, who have said that James Comey was completely correct. So uh, we start off with uh, him giving examples of several other individuals who he thinks 
did the same exact thing of, as Clinton and why uh, and this is why case should be brought, because if but they for, got but, charged, then so should Clinton. Sorry, from what I'm reading and just my interpretation of it, what they did seems way worse. They actually removed <laughs> physical copies of the the classified Good. material. Good. See, I, and I was going to do what I was going to do here with you is see if you can distinguish. If yeah. I give you the real facts that Jarrett leaves out on these cases, I was going to mm-hmm. see if you could distinguish them from the Hillary Clinton case. So let's yeah. start off with Sam Sandy Berger. Sandy Berger, who was NSA advisor under Bill Clinton, uh-huh. uh, he removed classified documents from the National Archives and stored them in an unauthorized location. That is mm-hmm. Jarrett's description of what happened. Now, Sandy Berger went into the National Archives, took documents, rolled them up and stuffed them in his socks, then walked outside and hid them under yeah. a construction trailer so he could go grab them later to take them away and destroy them. Can you distinguish that from Hillary Clinton's case? Yes. That okay. seems much worse. Uh, I think for one thing, there's definitely a, an intent element there, yeah. right? We can definitely yeah, see yeah, the intent yeah. element. You, you distinguish the physical documents part, right? Uh, mm-hmm. That seems – seems uh, that's not a huge dis- difference, but it, it is a difference. Uh, no, and- but if it's a physical document, it – immediately implies intent because you've taken the action of stealing it. Yes, I, yeah, I think the, the intent part there is the biggest one. Now, next, David Petraeus, who you may recall uh, had his little, uh, his little uh, scandal uh, cheating yeah. on his wife and getting caught. And uh, he uh, kept classified documents at home and allowed his biographer, with whom he was having an affair, to read them. Now, I don't even need to give you any more details than that for you to be able to distinguish yeah, it, do that, I? That's definitely an espionage issue he was giving the information to someone else and allowing them to read them actively actively. giving them to someone else also Uh, we get on to then both were fined like mm -hmm. these things that seem way neither of these people went to jail yeah yeah they they they, yeah they just had plea deals and and suffered uh i think it was fifty thousand dollars in in one case i don't remember what the other one was yeah uh, and next, we get to uh, ones which are clearly distinguishable because they are military cases. Uh, Christian Saucier, uh, mm-hmm. who was charged with mishandling classified material when he took six photographs of the inside of a submarine with his personal cell phone and unauthorized and unsecured device. Now, uh, let me give you the, the information Jarrett left out. Uh, cell phones were not allowed on nuclear submarines. And it was made very clear to everyone you were not allowed to take photographs of the interior of a nuclear submarine for very clear reasons. Uh, They also found during the investigations that these pictures had been taken at very odd times, like 4 a.m. or 1 a.m. in another photo's case. Yeah, that uh, seems maybe a little spy. It's a very clear espionage angle there uh, that I think Jarrett wants to leave out. The, The other one is Brian Nishimura who downloaded classified documents on an unsecured computer system and stored them on personal electronic devices. Uh, The part that he leaves out on that one was that it was documents having to do with how to build weapons. That's oh, cool. that's what the documents were. We're going to get another one uh, in another page, but these the, uh, the other the other thing about and we're going to talk about I think a little bit more Saucier. Uh, Saucier tried to raise the Clinton defense, and you may recall. Oh, uh, Trump pardoned this guy. Trump pardoned Christian Saucier. Yeah. Uh, he tried to raise the Clinton defense, saying that if Clinton could get away with far worse, that was his argument, that he should be found not guilty. Uh, the difference in that case also, uh, which I didn't mention before, was that he admitted to the court that he had intended to take the pictures and keep them on his cell phone. So yeah, there's a clear intent, intent difference there. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Jarrett also brings up that during Obama's term... Uh, his two terms, half a dozen people were charged and convicted of mishandling classified materials. Uh, most of those uh, <laughs> included in the pa- the pages we just talked about. Yeah, uh, so not very this many. Is, this is all supposed to be proof that Clinton should have been charged, right? This is this is what this is all supposed to be. So he then brings up what I think is maybe maybe the best example. The best example Jarrett includes in this book, uh, uh, him trying to draw a terrible comparison between Hillary Clinton and someone else. Uh, This is Harold T. Martin III, who was a national security contractor, who, according to Jarrett, stored classified documents in his home, some of which were on his computers, just as Clinton did. And that's basically the entirety that we get of this explanation. Now, Mm -hmm. what he doesn't tell you is Martin had 50 terabytes worth of data. 50 
terabytes. That's a lot. And was con- connected to some attempts to sell information. Uh, he was using a Twitter handle in which he was trying to sell some of this information. Yeah, that's not the smart way of doing it. Yes, and then then we compare that. to He compares that to Clinton. He doesn't give the amount. He does not say how much data Martin had. He then mm-hmm. just moves right into comparing that to Clinton, saying Martin had documents on his computer. Well, I mean... <sighs> Obviously the same as Clinton, because her computer didn't just have a handful of classified documents. It had 110 emails in 52 email chains. Yeah, think about how many emails. Think about your Gmail. Think about your Gmail and how much data 110 emails takes up. What is it, a quarter of a megabyte? Yeah. Maybe. Compare that to 50 terabytes. I I just think that is the most deliberately, maddeningly deceptive uh, an argument he tries to make in this portion of the book. Yeah, I mean, that 50 terabytes is roughly like $4,000 worth of hard drive, even yeah. to store that. So, yeah. I mean, that's a serious... I mean, and he 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 uh, cites another F, former FBI uh, deputy assistant director who says all of these individuals were prosecuted for doing a lot less no. than Clinton did. So, no, they right, we've seen people who engaged in espionage, who deliberately tried to take and destroy documents, who broke clearly established rules... In their military capacity, right? There's there's a huge difference between those people and Hillary Clinton. Uh, the next subsection we get to is entitled "The Criminal Intent Canard," uh, which is this boring. It was really dull. It was really boring. Can we skip over this. It's him. It's it, really it is boring. Jarrett saying that 18 U.S.C. 793F of the Espionage Act, uh, which is the grossly negligent handling of classified information part of the statute, uh, doesn't have an intent. Uh, requirement, which, yeah, it it doesn't. Fine. But uh, he also has not found a, a relevant case that compares to this one of Hillary Clinton, in which someone was prosecuted for being grossly negligent uh, in the same with the same set of facts. It just mm-hmm. it hasn't happened. So uh, it doesn't support his inference that charges should have should have been brought in this case. It just clearly doesn't. Uh, yeah. He does try uh, to make the implication that Hillary Clinton provided. Uh, uh, classified information to other people when she gave her emails to her lawyer to sort through. Uh, What he leaves out is that we found out just about four days after this uh, this little uh, back and forth between Jason Chaffetz and Comey uh, during the House Oversight Committee meeting. Uh, uh, Chaffetz asked, asked, did Hillary Clinton give non-cleared people access to classified information? Comey, yes, yes. That is a terrible... And just deliberately uh, trying to skew the facts way of pulling out two sentences from a record uh, yeah. and not providing any context. Uh, both of Hillary Clinton's lawyers, uh, her main lawyer and uh, uh, their part, that lawyer's partner, uh, had been given top secret clearance uh, uh, two years before in 2014 and maintained their top secret clearance. So they did have clearance uh, to look through the emails. But the next subsection we get is Clinton was grossly negligent. And we get, again, at the beginning of this, and the sheer quantity... The, the, the argument for this appears to be, well, Comey wrote something and then crossed it out. So yes. we must believe what he originally yes. wrote. That's yes. Like the... And what we get we get also this little tidbit, this one sentence at the beginning of this subsection, which is, and the sheer quantity, quantity in scare italics, I love that that is staying with us, I love the scare italics, of classified information, 110 documents is evidence of gross negligence. I, I will remind you also that those documents were emails. Yeah. They were emails. They, they, so they were... Like, I, I, I have a job. Uh-huh. I have a real job. Yeah. I probably get 100 emails a day. Ooh, that's a nightmare. Yeah. So that's the thing. Like, how many emails? Like, And they're all classified, probably. Everything that goes <laughs> to the Secretary of State is classified. So over, what was it, 2010 to 2000? Mm-hmm. 14 she was or 2012 yeah. whenever it well, was. Not, so remember we, we've already established there were 3,000 emails in question or 30 was it three or 30,000 I think it was 30,000 30, and of those 30,000 110 had classified information okay well it, okay fine but think about how many emails were did like were not on this server then mm-hmm. like, and did not have class anyway just I know, I know. We're both struggling with the stupid. We're struggling yeah. with the level of stupid I here. Always do. <laughs> so, yes, the argument you were talking about that we get is that James Comey clearly knew that this was illegal, that she should have been charged, and he took steps to make sure that she wasn't, right? The statement we get at the beginning of this subsection is, 
Comey must have known Clinton committed felonies because an early version of his so-called exoneration statement, I love the so-called part, uh, written in May 2016, did in fact use the words grossly negligent. So the long and short of that is James Comey wrote this statement in multiple drafts and crossed out grossly negligent and decided to use Yeah, because uh, he probably realized language. it's a criminal term that he shouldn't use if he doesn't mean that. Right. Right, and the other part of this is that Comey wrote that statement, or at least wrote his first draft, three weeks before they interviewed Hillary Clinton. So the investigation was not completely done, and in Greg Jarrett's eyes, that means they had already decided. It's not like they'd been working on this for several months already and had already reviewed all of the emails. Yeah. But that Comey was corrupt and threw yeah. the investigation in Hillary and Clinton's favor. And it starts to justice, according to the next uh, yes. subsection. Yes, so. the next, sub- next subsection is, did Comey obstruct justice? And I think you know what Greg Jarrett's going to... Do I, really, do I even have to law. do suspense there? We know what Greg Jarrett's going to say. He thinks yes. Yes. Uh, we get uh, a quote in that subsection from Fred Tichy. Techie? Techie. T-E-C-C-E. Again, I former have no federal idea. prosecutor who was interviewed for this book. Former assistant U.S. attorney in Philadelphia, yes, uh, who said the fact that they even bothered to interview her was a joke. C- Clinton could have told them, yeah, I stole everything, the computer was illegal, I knew what I was doing was wrong, and they would have the said, thank you very much, The computer was illegal? I feel like that's a fundamental <laughs> misunderstanding of what the computer yeah. was illegal. Like, how yeah. old is this dude, 93? Like, oh, wow, my whole computer was yes. illegal. No, so, no. yes, this is part of the snowball of inferences, right? This is them saying uh, that no, and it's just an inference, right? This comes out of nowhere. There's no facts to back this up, but that no matter what Clinton would have said, they would have said she was not guilty. That becomes fact by the end of the book and continuing into the next chapter, of course, that is gospel truth, uh, that they would have done anything. They would have pronounced her innocent no matter what. Uh, so we get, yes, again, the claim that Comey obstructed justice. And there's there's some funny tidbits in that that, Again, if you replaced Comey with uh, Trump, would work fantastically. Oh, yeah. it, it is a felony to interfere with a criminal investigation, <laughs> even if you're in charge of it. Eat that, Alan Dershowitz. Yes, yes. Oh, it's great. It's fantastic. Uh, and then we get uh, this is this is the the twofold questions we get right because now we've established we've established through inference that Comey obstructed justice in order to clear Hillary Clinton. So the questions mm-hmm. then become twofold. Jarrett says, "Did Comey do this on his own?" Did, other, did others exert pressure or unduly influence him to exculpate Clinton? I, that annoys the hell out of me because it's two separate questions, so there should be an and in between them. Yeah. Right? That, those are, that's, that's just terrible writing. That's honestly just terrible writing. Uh, and, of course, we're going to find out. We're going to find out that not only was Clinton helped by everyone in the Obama White House, but particularly, and this, this it doesn't really pay out till the next chapter because next next chapter we get Peter Strzok and Lisa Page, which mm-hmm. it's it's so so amazing. It's such a great chapter. But in this chapter, we get Loretta Lynch, and we get the most sarcastic opening of a cha- of a subsection that I have yeah. read in any of the books that we have reviewed so far. So this subsection is called Loretta Lynch and a series of fantastic coincidences, and it starts off with. We are expected to believe it was coincidence that former President Bill Clinton just happened to be on the tarmac of Sky Harbor International Airport in Phoenix, Arizona at exactly the same time as Attorney General Loretta Lynch on June 27, 2016, a scant five days before Hillary Clinton was to meet with FBI officials for questioning about her suspected wrongdoing. I know he said it to himself that way when he wrote it. I know that's exactly how he said it to himself. Yep. (laughs) <laughs> so yeah th- this this whole this whole subsection is oh what a big coincidence basically but i feel like it doesn't really help his argument all that much no because he he then goes on to show comey being suspicious of this meeting yeah ex- and the exactly. way that, that, that lynch was had asked him to refer to it for example he says the attorney and attorney general had directed me not to call it an investigation, but instead to call it a matter which confused me and concerned mm-hmm. me. So that's showing that Comey is thinking about this stuff, right. and that actually he is he is coming. Even if Loretta Lynch isn't coming at it from an objective point of view, which I fully believe might not be the case, as you know, former co-workers, friends of the Clintons, Comey is taking what Lynch is saying and being skeptical of it. So then to try and indict Comey on 
uh, obstruction of justice is just a weird play. It, it It's fine if he doesn't quote Comey saying that, but he throws that quote in there to discredit Loretta Lynch. Yeah. But then it, it does damage to his discrediting of Comey because the, the he's guy, using Comey the guy as he the objective just... <laughs> standard to discredit Loretta Lynch. The guy he has just spent 37 pages calling the biggest liar on the face of the planet Earth he uses as his sole argument against the credibility of Loretta Lynch. I yeah. I, I agree. I noticed that, and I thought that is... Uh, I don't understand how if you read this book, you don't get that and go, wait, I forgot. Who's the good guy again? Yeah, it, exactly. it, it throws you off. It really throws you off. But he also makes the argument here that Loretta Lynch should never have presided over the Clinton email case to begin with and that she should have recused herself from the Clinton probe at the very beginning. So a bit like Matthew Whitaker should have recused himself from the Russia investigation. Matthew Whitaker, the Keebler elf, anybody, you can make the very same... He did, did. But but we know Fox News notoriously said that he never should have, agreeing with Donald Trump the whole time, right? True. Uh, So, yes, but it's just funny to me that they make the same exact argument here that everyone has been making about Donald Trump and everyone who has tried to interfere with the Russia investigation, right? The Mueller probe. Right. So he says, quote, Lynch was required under law to disqualify herself under the Code of Federal Regulations 28 CFR 45.2. Quote, no employee shall participate in a criminal investigation or prosecution. He or she has a personal or political relationship with any person or organization substantially involved in the conduct that is subject of the investigation or prosecution. And then goes on to explain that Loretta Lynch had a personal relationship with Hillary Clinton and a professional relationship. And he uh, screws up there and says professional. I assume he meant political, although they don't have a political relationship. They may have had a personal relationship, but with anyone who has been, in, we, who was, uh, you know, over, trying to oversee the Russia probe, you could make that same exact argument that uh, Whitaker should have recused himself because he has a political mm-hmm. relationship with Donald Trump. That, of course, of course, the guy who stumped for Donald Trump around the country, uh, the Keebler elf, uh, had, of course had a political relationship with Donald Trump. He was running with Donald Trump, basically. He's part of the Trump campaign. Part of the Trump campaign. Yeah. Uh, but then we get to, and, and remember last week I brought up Judicial Watch, right? Mm-hmm. And now we get the American Center for Law and Justice. This, get, oh. this comes up uh, because they requested, uh, requested a bunch of uh, records regarding the meeting between Bill Clinton and Loretta Lynch on the tarmac. And the ACLJ... It is hard to find a worse group than Judicial Watch, but the ACLJ does it. The Might ACLJ yeah. somehow manages to do it. Uh, this is the group started by Jay Sekulow, Donald mm-hmm. Trump's attorney, right, who is a, a horrifying human being, honestly, a terrible human being. And this group is a radical Christian alternative to the ACLU. So it tries to prevent rights, I guess, because what they're known for most— is opposing the mosque at Ground Zero, right? The mosque that wasn't at Ground Zero, but was a couple blocks away. Oh, yeah, I remember that. Yeah, right. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah. So the ACLJ was very much involved in opposing the mosque at Ground Zero, in scare quotes. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and, of course, some of their most outstanding pursuits have to do with encouraging laws in developing African countries that make homosexuality illegal. Cool. That is one of the biggest things they do. It is horrifying. This is a horrible group. And if you want to hear anybody else complain about it, go listen to opening arguments. Andrew complains about the ACLJ all the time, cool. uh, and, and he knocks them down much better than I can. Uh, <laughs> but the ACLJ, so another another group that we get praised in this book, a hate group, by the way. It is a hate group. Uh, and Well, I mean, okay, so so what they said was that the uh, there are no records responsive to the request that they they requested documents from the fbi about this um and it says a year later the doj produced more than 400 pages of emails although the contents of what lynch and clinton discussed were heavily redacted that makes sense the emails do reveal that reporters for the new york times and washington post seemed inclined to minimize the matter as an innocuous non-story uh i guess (laughs) Which makes sense because it was. Yeah, kind of. But also the New York Times did write about Hillary Clinton's emails a lot. So Mm -hmm. it's not, you know. But also, also, let me just say the whole the whole Loretta Lynch tarmac meeting thing. There very well could have been some. Hey, Loretta, I hope you're doing all right. You know, I'm just hoping that everything (laughs) goes well with Hillary. That is a solid. Yeah, I I have a solid Bill Clinton. Right. There could have been some of that. But in no way was it uh, the three alarm fire 
uh, raging catastrophe that the Republicans tried to turn it into because they needed something to shore up the fact that they had the worst candidate in the history of the United States presidential somehow elections, got elected president. who somehow got elected to president of the United States. Yeah. So, yeah, so so that's when it moves on to, to this uh, re-crediting of the discredited Comey, I guess. Yes. And, and talking about... Yes. Yeah, so he so, said, the, yeah, I mean, the public, he, he uh, it, it's in his committee hearing. A month later, Comey raised even more suspicions about Lynch and potential impropriety when he told the Senate Intelligence Committee that the then Intelli- Attorney General had instructed him to mislead the public about the true nature of the Clinton investigation. So, uh, you know, it, it's it's just a weird bit of writing, essentially. Um and then he says that, that Clint Comey's self-serving explanations for recommending that Clinton... I don't know why it's self-serving. He got fired from the... Like, what... <laughs> I don't understand what's self-serving about it. Like, this wasn't good for him. I don't yes. I don't understand what, what he was supposed to get out of Hillary Clinton not being prosecuted. Like, what what's the... What what does Comey gain from that? I don't, I don't know. know. Can, I don't okay. know. But, but Jared does say that he thinks that if Comey had thought there was something going on, something corrupt going on, or a conflict of interest, he should have resigned and exposed his suspicions to the public, which is almost what happened, right? It's almost what well, happened. Well, that's what he's done with Trump, kind yeah. of. Yeah, yeah exactly. Like... Exactly. We keep coming back to this where you can draw so many parallels between what Jarrett claims he wants to have happened and mm-hmm. what happened with regards to Donald Trump and all of his bullshit. Uh, so yeah. the last subsection in this book, not in this book, rather, in this chapter is called... I wish it was in this I book. I know. Comey's decision angered FBI agents. Uh, which, again, we have to throw in that qualifier, the that agents he interviewed for yeah. this book, <laughs> as well yeah. as, as well as, and I love this, uh, an anonymous uh, senior FBI official close to the investigation who told Fox News. That is his other prime yeah, source. Yeah, a, a great source. Prime source for this section of the chapter. Uh, but we get basically here uh, a whole list of people who have been on Fox News complaining about what happened, you know, former FBI people who went on Fox News to complain about what happened. That is primarily what we're getting here, as well as that anonymous Fox News source mm-hmm. and the people that Jarrett interviewed for this book complaining yeah. about Hillary Clinton not being indicted. Yeah, and, and what it... Again, he gets really angry about Clinton's interview for three and a half hours on July 2nd. She reportedly answered, I do not recall or I don't remember some 39 times, which isn't a great deal of like in an interview, a legal, a legally binding interview mm-hmm. saying I don't, re-, you know, that's a standard tactic. You don't want to lie. So right, people say, right. I don't recall. I don't remember quite a lot, presumably. And in three yeah. and a half hours, I can see myself saying 39 times i don't recall i don't also it's jeff sessions's <laughs> fucking catchphrase <laughs> that's true well yeah you're right that is what your lawyer will tell you to do if you don't recall say so say so because if you try and remember and you remember wrong then you can be you, you know you're not gonna get in trouble for just being wrong but if you make something up try and fill in a gap then that's when you get in trouble for perjury so yeah. if you don't remember or you don't know you say that Mm-hmm. And then they move on to a different line of questioning. It's it's as simple as that. Uh, so, yeah, we end this chapter on the last page. And it, basically a, a preview of what's going to come in the next chapter. And this this is where I get excited because this is where we get into, I, like I mentioned already, Peter Strzok and Lisa Page, who we all remember the outrage over their text messages, the lovebirds, the yeah. two lovebirds. Uh, but the last paragraph of the chapter, which I always read in its entirety, goes as follows. That explanation, talking about uh, Comey's explanation for why he did what he did, came into focus when the Inspector General of the Department of Justice, Michael Horowitz, decided to investigate Comey's mystifying decision. In the process, the IG uncovered the actions of a key FBI investigator by the name of Peter Strzok, and the name of FBI lawyer Lisa Page also emerged. Text messages exchanged between them led to the identities of others, including FBI Director Andrew McCabe, who appeared to have a personal and political motive to clear Clinton. So, we're going to get struck Page and McCabe in the next chapter, Very which I, I'm hoping I'm hoping it picks up. That I know that the following chapter, maybe it's two chapters out, we get into uh, uh, why Donald Trump is innocent, and that's where the book really gets good. But I'm hoping we have some good crazy coming up in the next chapter. I yeah, really we also am. there's a Uranium One chapter too. So yes, of course there is. Of course there is. So Benedict. What did we learn today? Did we that 
Republicans should not be allowed to write books. Oh, we've known that for at least a year and a half now since yeah. whenever we started doing these yep. book reviews. That, sorry, Republican hacks should not be allowed to write books. Not uh, all Republicans. Uh, well, who, who, who's a Republican who should be allowed to write a book then? I mean, the Venn diagrams pretty much overlap, <laughs> but the, the circles in the Venn diagram are largely. But is there like, a few Republican no, fiction no, writers but, you but like? like? Is that what it is? Um, what's his name? The guy who writes for the Atlantic, David, the Canadian guy. Oh, uh, um, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. I know what you're talking about. But yeah, okay, Max Boot, maybe, maybe. Nah, right. I'm just thinking some of those people who, who are trying to reclaim conservatism, maybe they can, if they can pick up any of their own people, maybe that's okay. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah. I don't know. And in the final segment today, we bring you chapter three of our book review of The Russia Hoax. And I'm gonna I'm gonna mix up the order again here. I'm sure the illicit scheme to clear Hillary Clinton and frame Donald. No, you got it. You I got, got it, it right this time. Yeah. All right, I'm not even looking at the book jacket. No, you uh, get it. It's just going off memory this time. Uh, this chapter is titled "The Fix." Uh, yeah, my alternate chapter title was just literally to circle the air quotes and be like, yes, <laughs> <laughs> the fix. That's, you're yes, right. <laughs> there are scare quotes around the words. Which the completely, fix. <laughs> completely like delegitimizes the whole argument. I don't think yeah. those mean what you think they mean. <laughs> and my alternate chapter title was just. Andrew Cabe didn't even write a book yet. Uh, he's going to talk a lot about Andrew McCabe in this chapter. He's very angry he's at him. He, I don't even know. Angry. I don't think he knows what he's an- angry at Andy McCabe for. No. Uh, he hasn't well, figured he does. out exactly. He knows, he knows what he thinks he did, but he has but no proof. Then he gets no angry at Strzok for the same. We'll get to it. We'll get to it. Yeah, that's true. He's like, McCabe did this. No, Strzok did this. Yes, no, you Peter- noticed it too. I'm yeah, so yeah, glad. Yeah. I'm so yeah, glad you noticed this, that too. Okay, good. We got it. Uh, so this starts with one of our, our uh, quotes that we always get at the beginning of this chapter. And this one uh, is, uh, unlimited power is apt to corrupt. You know, it's it's from a British judge or the, a prime minister, so you prime should minister. say it in your accent, probably. Yeah. Unlimited power is apt to corrupt the minds of those who possess it. Where law ends, there tyranny begins. Mm, I was hoping you'd do your best Churchill for it, but that's fine. I can live with that. And that is from William Pitt, Prime Minister of Great Britain, January 9th, 1770. William Pitt the Young, uh, probably Pitt the Younger. Pitt the Younger? I didn't know. Is that like a Pliny, a Pliny situation yeah, going on so there? Yeah, there, so there was Pitt the Elder, who was a lord, and I think Pitt the Younger, who was the youngest Prime Minister we had. He was like 23 when he became Prime Minister. Okay, that's, uh, I'll be the first to say that's too young to be Prime Minister. Let me, uh, let me check on William <laughs> Pitt the Younger, because okay. that, it might be Pitt the Elder, but um, I guess... I don't know. Let me let me I just check no on idea. Pitt the Younger. I, well, was, I will start the chapter while you do that. Yeah. Extremely young. They didn't start yet. It's fine. <laughs> well, we start off this chapter with uh, very little was known about how FBI Director James Comey reached his decision not to pursue criminal charges against Hillary Clinton. Yeah. Uh, okay. So, so that that seems to be Pitt the Elder. Sorry. Okay. Uh, and Pitt the so he was Prime Minister uh, in the 1770s. There's a famous painting of him dying. I think he died. <laughs> he had a heart attack on the house of commons floor oh wow. um and then his son was prime minister at 24 was that just how they did it back then when your dad died you became prime minister no, no, too? No, they, no. they wanted a... more lines of uh <laughs> yeah more more hereditary monarchy. yeah hereditary he, he, lines. Was, he was he was elected prime minister at the age of 24 and is actually remembered as one of the great prime ministers so okay, okay. yeah all right i can see that so we get uh, here, basically in the first first page and a half, a recap of last, chat, last chapter, right? The the snowball of inferences I keep bringing up, but that now at this point, we, at this point in the book, we have established that James Comey is crooked, uh, that Hillary Clinton uh, purposefully hit, you know, uh, tried to keep all her emails somewhere else. Uh, for what purpose, we have no idea. Uh, and that uh, James Comey is completely crooked and is conspiring with everyone in order to clear yeah, Hillary Clinton. I, I like the opening line of this, which was very little was known about how FBI... If you were listening, James you Comey. know I just read that about 30 no, no, seconds no, ago. No, 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 I was listening, but I, I was going to move on to make a point about it. Oh, the it. scare italics? But, well, that, but also to say, and thus I have written two whole chapters speculating about <laughs> it because we don't have any real information. I know, I know. But we get uh, we get a hint here on the, uh, uh, the beginning of the second page of this chapter. We know what we're going to be talking about in this chapter. It's and Talking about grossly negligent, a fucking game. Like, why did <laughs> why was grossly neg- negligent removed? Like, how many times yes. have we seen oh. that? 
But he he lists for us who we're going to be talking about in this chapter, and that is Andrew McCabe, Peter Strzok, and Lisa Page, which is what got me so wet for this chapter, because that... That's a threesome right there. Oh, no. We we start off with Andrew McCabe. Oh, I wouldn't put it past Greg Jarrett to try and claim that that's what was going on there. Possibly. (laughs) We start off with Andrew McCabe, who the reason we are indicting Andrew McCabe and the primary evidence throughout this whole chapter is that Andrew McCabe's wife ran for the Senate, the state Senate in Virginia. Yeah. So McCabe's dirty as a Democrat, and therefore yeah, he's dead. as a Democrat, as yeah. a Democrat. And you know the the argument here is, well, first of all, he says uh, McCabe was uh, assumed oversight of the Clinton case when he was promoted to deputy director and was intimately involved in the ultimate decision not to bring mm-hmm. criminal charges against her, as were any number of people. Like this isn't a top down thing. But yeah, the thing the thing that is suspicious, according to Mr. Jarrett, is that Dr. McCabe, who is Andrew McCabe's wife, her, her campaign was the beneficiary of some $675,000 from groups aligned with Clinton and Virginia Governor Terry McAuliffe, which seems to be <laughs> the him saying that group, groups aligned is the DNC. I feel like that, like, yeah, the yes. Demo- Democrats are giving money to other Democrats so that Democrats win elections, <laughs> and that is inherently suspicious. Would you like to know who those groups are that I gave would her love that to. money for her I campaign? I would love to. I would love to. Uh, one, one was a PAC uh, okay. called Common Good Virginia. Okay, that uh, makes which, sense. Which was uh, ter- uh, Terry McAuliffe's PAC, the the Democratic, the Democratic governor, governor of Virginia. Yeah. Who happened may- to be friends with Bill and Hillary Clinton. Yeah. You may recall has a stake in winning back his own state Senate. Yeah. Uh, and the other part, the 207,000, can you want to take a guess where that's from? Uh, the Virginia Democratic Party. Right. Yeah, that makes oh. sense. You know, it sounds a lot scarier and spookier when you don't say who it is. You just refer to them as groups aligned with Clinton and the Virginia governor, Terry McAuliffe. Yeah, also, I mean, it's just literally like they gave money for the campaign. Like, yeah, and like this isn't this wasn't the Trump campaign where they just rolled up everything into <laughs> into personal funds for the guy. Like, this is no one. Also, no one was ever able to prove that Clinton's fingerprints were on the yes, bags of money. Yes, he put it, like just he like put in that the, on like, there. dollar signs on the side of like canvas bags oh, yeah, filled yeah. stuffed with cash. And yeah, but McAuliffe has never denied that he helped arrange the cash. Like, how dumb! Like, the as you said, the yeah. governor. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Had Democrats donating yeah. money to Democrats Suspicious. to win elections? Suspicious. It's crazy. Oh, but yes, one of the one of the other inferences in this part here as well is that it's suspicious, according to Jarrett, that Jill McCabe was recruited by Democrats to run for that Virginia State Senate seat just five days after Clinton's private email scandal became public. Yeah, but so... also before McCabe was promoted to deputy director of the FBI. <laughs> Yes. So yes. not not with him having any influence over the probe at this time. So I, and again, she would have lost that. Uh, would she have lost that race? No, she'd have lost the race she, afterwards. She right? did lose the race. No, she, no I, I believe it was a special election, and she she lost. Oh the no, race Virginia before. has an off-cycle election for yes, local. That's what it was. Yes. Yeah. So she'd have lost the race by the time he was yeah. promoted to, the, to deputy director. Yes, and Jared acknowledges that later in this chapter that the race was over by the time that that uh, McCabe was on the Clinton email case. So, but he, oh, he, he holds on to that. He told, he holds on to that. But I just, I wrote in my, in the side of my, my book here, he's turning banality into insanity. Yeah. Right. Which is a common theme throughout all these books. Uh, But he writes that the public knew none of this talking about the donations until three months after Clinton was cleared by Comey, which is false, of course, because the campaigns all have to file disclosures. Yeah. The public. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) What he means is that the Wall Street Journal didn't write an article about it until three months after Clinton was cleared by Comey. Yeah. Uh, that's what he means by it. So, so yes, he acknowledges. It, it, this is the quote. It makes no difference that his wife's campaign had ended. She still got the money. She was still indebted no, and her beholden. her campaign still got the money. Yes. But he says she was still indebted and beholden to Clinton and her f- close friend McAuliffe for their financial support of her. 
of her Who, is the way he ends her? that. Who's her? Her close friend? Is that Clinton's close friend or McCabe's close friend? I, look, this is so poorly written. I don't have a goddamn clue what exactly yeah. he's trying to say. But what he's trying to say, what I can pick out that he's trying to say, is that it doesn't matter that she lost the election. And it doesn't matter that Hillary Clinton actually didn't have anything to do with those donations or that the Virginia Democratic Party is not Miss Clinton herself yeah. or it's not anything connected. It's just that she got money from Democrats. Yeah. Is bad At the enough. same time as Democrats were running Hillary Clinton yeah. as Money a to run for office, I should yeah. point out. I should continue to point yeah, out that exactly. that's what it Money was. for as, her campaign yeah. to try and get more Democrats in the state Senate in Virginia, which is pretty crucial for getting things done in the state. And I think actually, I think Republicans still hold the Senate in Virginia. Is that right? By like one one. I believe I, I don't know. I th- wasn't that the head, one yeah. where they tied a race and they flipped a coin? To no, there weren't. There were a handful of those last year that had I'm pretty weird, sure it was Virginia weird things like that. Yeah, but he he then follows that by saying, and Doctor McCabe's husband, talking about Andrew McCabe, can hardly be described as indifferent, with no interest in the matter. Spouses tend to support one another, and I just imagined when he was writing that. I don't know what his wife's name is. Yeah, I was but gonna I just, say for, she does I not wanna, support your efforts. I just want to imagine sorry. her name is Karen, and I just imagine him writing that line, going, "Spouses tend to support one another." Karen, <laughs> Karen, and then having to hit backspace, get rid of the Karen on the end because he can't put that in the book because she might accidentally pick it up and it'll fall to that page someday because she's not going to read it because she doesn't support him. Yeah, and but also he, he does say, this is why ethics advisors at the FBI cautioned him to recuse himself from all public corruption cases during his wife's Senate race. Fair enough. He also, earlier in the chapter, says there was no advisement from the FBI to recuse himself from the email case, which must mean that at the time they thought it was okay that he not recuse yeah. himself from that. So they clearly did due diligence and advised him to recuse himself from some things. And then when it came up later, he didn't have to recuse himself. Honestly, so. I, I wonder, and I think, because I think we talked about this before, is what the Republicans are pushing, is the idea they have in their heads that they probably haven't thought through very well, is that no one who has a political point of view can ever investigate any Republican? Well, because unless, they don't, they don't care about Democrats being investigated. Yeah, yeah exactly. they don't care about Democrats being investigated. I, I, but, I yeah. mean, I said, I said this later in the chapter, but I mean, no reason not to raise it now. Let's see all the texts from pro-Trump people <laughs> and anti-Clinton. Like, imagine, like, the, the struck page stuff, obviously they don't like Trump because no, I mean, who does? But I'm, I, I can guarantee there is at least that level of, of contempt for Hillary Clinton mm-hmm. within some, yep. some bits of the FBI and, and the NSA and probably... You know, and I'm not a huge Clinton fan, but it's just I, I guarantee there is more contempt for for her than there ever was for Trump within those agencies. Yeah, I mean, law enforcement agencies tend to skew conservative. That's just the type of people they attract. Mm-hmm. Although Donald Trump is the the great divider, right? He has turned conservatives upon themselves and yeah. let them loose. Uh, we get this quote: "Commons." This is the beginning of another uh, inf- inference snowball. Common sense dictates that McCabe's gratitude and the corresponding propensity for bias would persist in perpetuity. The decision sure. to clear Clinton may have been influenced may by have. that very bias. May and have of course, is always the clue. By the end of that chapter, that's going to be gospel truth. We yep. know that, right? So, moving on, we get uh, talk of Comey and McCabe, right? So, McCabe gets his promotion to deputy director of the FBI alongside James Comey, uh, and this is during the time of the email investigation. And Jarrett asks the question, why would Comey and McCabe decide that the assistant director should disqualify himself then, referring to when the information came, the, the Wall Street Journal article, the information, came, when the Wall Street Journal article was published, but not before. Nothing so, so what happen, What happens is, sorry, I, I feel like maybe that's not super clear. He didn't recuse himself in the investigation before Clinton was recommended to be cleared by James Comey. But then he did subsequently recuse himself when the new emails from, um, what's his name? That gross dude who had all the sex scandals. Um, yeah, I can't recall off the top of my head. Huma Aberdeen's boyfriend. Yeah. Yeah. That, that guy. So he did recuse himself for the subsequent investigation when it was reopened by, by Comey just a couple of weeks before the election. Um, and then he, he does do scare stuff around that. He did, when new emails were discovered only to shut down that investigation 10 days later, leaving out the fact that it was shut down because nothing new was found. <laughs> I know. 
I know. But we get another shout out to Judicial Watch here, uh, where he quotes Tom Fitton, the president of Judicial Watch, who said, and this is part of this, the inference snowball, uh, these new documents show that the FBI leadership was politicized and compromised in its handling of the Clinton email investigation. Cool. Which, no, that, that, that wasn't what they showed. Uh, but moving on, and this, this, uh, this uh, chapter is different in that it's one of the only ones we've done so far um, that doesn't have a whole lot of uh, uh, subsections. Yeah, it has McCabe A lot of the other ones, they were just sprinkled through sort of randomly. This one actually has an organizational structure to it, which I was, I was impressed by. He actually did. But here's where he makes a claim that we're going to return to when we get to Struck and Page, which is that he claims uh, McCabe, Andrew McCabe, reportedly played a direct hand in altering Comey's statement that originally determined Clinton committed crime. So you remember we talked about last chapter and the chapter before, I believe, that uh, James Comey's statement was originally had the words gross negligence. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then it was changed to, I think, uh, mishandle. I don't remember what it was changed to. So he makes the claim here that McCabe had a direct hand in changing that. Now, remember that. That's going to come back in about three pages. Mm -hmm. It's going to come back in about three pages. But we get other talk about how McCabe must have perjured himself because he said he didn't leak to the press. Uh, And then he said that Comey said it was okay to talk to the press, which would make it not a leak, right, if it was okay to talk to the press. Uh, well, so so what he says was as you, as deputy as deputy director. Sorry, I was one of only a few people who had the authority to to do that, meaning leak to the press. It was not a secret. It took place over several days, and others, including the director Comey, were aware of the interaction with the reporter. And then it cuts to Grassley, Chuck Grassley, asking uh, whether Comey, asking Comey whether he authorized someone else at the FBI to be an anonymous source in news reports about the Trump investigation and Comey saying no. And then Jarrett says, they cannot both be true. And yes, they can. (laughs) By the wording of that thing, Comey could have found out about this afterwards and and not authorized it. And Jarrett goes, well, they can't both be true. And like, yeah, (laughs) no, they can. They definitely, definitely can. Yep, yep. Uh, Anyways, the the last fun fact we get about Andrew McCabe in this chapter is that McCabe also signed off on warrant applications to spy on a Trump campaign associate, which we're going to learn about in forthcoming chapters, he tells us. Yeah. So I'm, I'm excited While they were committing crimes. Though, yes, I know. They always leave proven. out that part. Yeah, like while they were doing crimes. But I don't know if you picked up on this too, because I wrote that, I just wrote in, in the margins of my book, Passive Voice. Yeah. Uh, because he wrote, it is believed that McCabe, and yeah, I just, not oh, I, I had believe. to point it out. Not I yeah. believe, but it yeah, is Yeah, I know. I okay, had to point let's it out. Do, let's do Struck the, and Page. The nu- yes, the next subsection is Peter Struck and Lisa Page, uh, who you may recall are Sean Hannity's favorite lovebirds. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we had, of course, the, the 10,000 te- or the 50,000 text messages between two people, uh, which I got to say, that is a lot of text messages, but it's they were... They were fucking, so you know. Yeah. Like, if, if there's someone and you're fucking, I can see fifty thousand text messages. If, over if they a, a text you, you text back. That's that's yeah. the rules. <laughs> you, you have conversations. Things happen. Uh, but he calls them politically charged texts no, that show a I mean, stunning hostility towards Donald Trump, denigrating him as an idiot and loathsome. Both true. Very yeah, that is that is very much true. <laughs> like, I can't disagree with that. Accurate reporting. One of the first honest things that Jarrett has said throughout this entire book. Yeah. So uh, as the lead investigator in the Clinton case, Strzok is believed to have changed the critical wording in Tommy's description of Clinton's, again, is believed to. Uh, so and, who was it? Was yeah, it McCabe or was it Strzok? Yeah, we Make up your mind, Jack. And then, and then he goes on to say, according to CNN, citing several sources, electronic records prove that's the case. So he's just disproved that McCabe said that. Mm-hmm. But then another part of Comey's statement was also changed. Initially, he concluded that the enormous volume of classified documents on Clinton's service supported the inference that she was grossly ne- negligent. This would be sufficient for a finding of criminality. Not sure about that. Yes, yet this was also edited out of the final version made public during Comey's announcement on July 5th, 2016. Was it Strzok who engineered the edit to exonerate Clinton? Since he made the first edit, it is quite likely he made the second one. What are you talking about? And, And here's where it blows my mind. Okay, because what happened was the word inference was taken out. So it was taken from being an inference of gross negligence to being called whatever it was called, right? Extremely so whatever careless, was, yeah. Extremely careless. So they took out the inference, so it wasn't inference of being extremely careless. 
It was extremely ca- that makes it more definite. Yeah. How does that take it, it farther away from being the crime? Removing inference of I I don't understand that. No, I don't get but that the, either. The next well, two pages because we get. inference of gross negligence is more criminal than extreme carelessness, presumably, because yeah, gross I, negligence I, is an actual crime. Extreme I think he's just talking in circles. Well, I think he's possibly. just talking in circles. Possibly. Uh, but the next two pages we get in here are just lists of struck and pages texts, which like are a fun read. So they we are legitimately them? funny. <laughs> should we? <laughs> yeah, let's do it. All right. I'll be Paige. I'll be Paige. Uh, should we do this in our great, our best uh, Shakespearean N- yeah. voice? Yeah, I'm going to do an English accent, so I'm not going to do it mm. anyway. You ready? God, Trump no, is I'm a Paige. loathsome I'm human. Paige. I'm oh, okay. Paige. Oh, no, I'll be struck. You go. You do Paige. You do Paige. God, Trump is a loathsome human. Yet he may win. Good, Good for Hillary. No, it's me. That's two in a row. Clearly, oh. clearly Paige Shit. didn't respond I can't read. <laughs> Good for Hillary. It is... Would he be a worse president than Cruz? Trump? Yes. <laughs> doth I think so. Oh my god, he's an idiot. He is truly awful. <laughs> okay. Kevin's adding a few extra words in yes, there. Yes, I am. They, they, they're mostly like that. So they're... The do- I, I don't... Okay. Did you notice the censoring that he does? Yeah, I did. I didn't he know if doesn't that was censor, He doesn't censor... He doesn't censor douchebags. He does censor douche. <laughs> yes! Yeah, that's a weird one. <laughs> that, yeah, that that struck uh, st- that struck out to me. I'll just go with that from now on. Peter, uh, Peter struck out. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But the next thing we get in this chapter that has any substance to it is uh, another inference where he asks, "How is it possible that in advance of Clinton's interview, a top FBI agent, a key FBI lawyer, and the Attorney General would all know?" that the target of their investigation would not be charged. Well, probably because they'd already done most of the investigating. Yes. And unless the <laughs> interview drastically changed anything or anything new surfaced, they probably wouldn't draw. They'd probably have already started drafting whether this had the charges were going to be brought or not. Yeah. And because literally the, the charges were not dropped, but Comey's speech was like a, less than a week after the interview with Clinton. So presumably they already had an idea of whether or not they would charge her with crimes at that point. The right. interview if, was probably just to confirm. If you start investigating someone for financial crimes and you look at all their books and see that there were no crimes, are you going to wait until after you interview them to decide if there were crimes? Yeah. Paul Manafort right. can tell you. <laughs> so the next, the next thing we get here where it's Jarrett uh, stomping on his own face he asks, how would Lynch know that Clinton would be cleared? Talking about Loretta Lynch. Mm-hmm. Uh, two paragraphs down, he explains that she was still getting briefed yeah, on the investigation. she didn't recuse herself fully. Right. Like, so you answered your question you can debate question whether she there. should have recused herself. I mean, there is sure. a legitimate debate to be had. But... Sure, but he uses that question to imply wrongdoing and to imply, well, to imply sneakiness really yeah. because he, he what he's implying there is that there was a secret back door when there was no back door it was a front door yeah. they walked through the front door of her office and gave her the briefings right i i just it's part of that whole thing that annoys the hell out of me and then they they, they just go on to I, the, the on the day trump was elected president struck wrote a message saying oh my god this is terrifying page replied she was depressed a week later, she needed that she need she noted that she needed to brush up on Watergate, which I feel like we all do. But also Iran Contra, because Iran Contra, you know, that dude has just been what's his name, Elliot something. Yeah, he's just been elected envoy to Venezuela. Or... But here's here's another funny thing: is that like for for two lawyers to say they need to brush up on Watergate in this political atmosphere is a legitimate thing. Like yeah. legitimately, if you were working in that position. In the the FBI, yeah, you need to brush up on water. The cases surrounding Watergate and all the other stuff. You need to read that. Like yeah. I, I, I don't know. That just drives me crazy. Uh, but he then writes the bias of Struck and Page in favor of Clinton and their unabashed enmity towards Trump meant that they should never have been allowed anywhere near the Clinton email. Case. Which again, so, stupid. No one's ever allowed to have a political opinion. It's really dumb. Yeah, I I completely agree. Uh, but so, look, the rest of this is just complaining about the, the texts. Oh, they didn't like Trump. They didn't like Trump. How could they investigate Trump if they did? I guarantee you everyone who has ever investigated Trump has disliked Trump after the things they have found out about yeah. him, right? Which, like, a lot of this stuff, too. The, uh, you know, the, the whole um, uh, insurance plan uh, text that Republicans love to talk about, right? That, that just goes back to these two were already in the Russia investigation, 
So they had the information. They knew what was going on. Maybe they have more reason than everyone else to dislike Donald Trump. It's just... It's just crazy to me. I really don't. I don't get these stupid inferences. Uh, But we will end the chapter, as we always do, with me reading the last paragraph, which is really just two sentences, where it is, quote, Americans are entitled to a system of justice that is both equal and blind. Those who abuse their authority. Yes, I agree about that. (laughs) And I'm sure many African-Americans do, too. Yeah. Those who abuse their authority by imposing their own political prejudices poison this cherished principle of democracy. And then that's where we see all the inferences have solidified into fact, as they always do. I love my snowball of inferences analogy. Yeah, I'm good. really going to keep hammering it yeah, because I think it explained it explains so much of how the right thinks. I really think so. Yeah, I think avalanche uh, is better. But <laughs> fine, we can argue over which particular snow yeah. uh, snow. What do you what do you call that snow uh, analogy? Uh, no, no, but what would you call it? Manifestation. Which manifestation of snow uh, is the proper one? But uh, that is it. Not Your Grandmother's Book Club Podcast is a production of Kevin and Benedict Productions. Copyright 2020, all rights reserved. Music for this podcast is by Silverman Sound Studios. Find out more at silvermansound.com.